It's a brand new year, but what's really changed? Cheating in sports, Hollywood award shows, and speaking of diversity, NFL coaching hires. And war, what is it good for? All this and more on this week's Three C's in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for coming on board with us. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, folks, first up is Rearview Mirror. I'm going to throw it to John. What grabbed your attention last week? Well, first of all, um, War, What Is It Good For?, I think was the original title of Tolstoy's uh, War and it Peace. Um, but um, So I'm going to jump on the prevalence now of cheating in sports. So uh, it's now out that the Red Sox are possibly involved in using a replay room. Uh, Major League Baseball said that they're two weeks away from coming out with sanctions or at least some form of punishment on the uh, Houston Astros for the banging of the garbage cans and the tunnel. Yeah, and and here we are with the Patriots. Thank God they lost, by the way. Fuck, I, I fucking hate the Patriots. But um, you've got this dynamic of cheating in sports, and I, I don't know how Major League Baseball is going to take this to the next step because stealing signs seems to have been you know part of the structure of baseball hey, the guy on second base is going to look at what the catcher is putting down. But now you're talking about the Red Sox using a replay room or the the Houston Astros winning the World Series by using a camera in center field. And, and only because I'm a true sports fan, I think we're at a crisis of confidence in sports because is anything real anymore? Are they winning it on merit or are they just cheating their asses off? Um, I hope the punishment is swift, but I'd be interested to see how the communication goes going forward. So as part of that discussion on communication, so one, I would ask you, do you think it's cheating? And I would guess by your intro that you do think it's cheating. I think it's one step above the normal like backyard looking for what the catcher is putting down. Now you're using technology. So yeah, I think it's cheating. Okay. So it's cheating. How prevalent do you think it is? See, I, I don't know that it's cheating. We know that I'm not as pure when it comes to sports as you because I think there should be computer balls and strikes called. And yeah. you, you don't. But computer pass interference calls. Right, yeah. all, all that. So if it, I think technology should improve the game. But in this case, I, I wonder, and I think that all of this kind of leads into how they communicate or how they don't communicate, how prevalent is this? And I think the concern is, is that like steroids, you start pulling back on this onion and peeling back on it and it just gets more and more nasty. Oh. But I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? So if you start doing this and you realize that the majority of the teams have done it or are doing it, then is it that big a deal? Then it kind of is pure because everybody's doing it. So I think that's been a, a pretty big obstacle in terms of Major League Baseball coming out and being more definitive on it. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to the point where when I was in ninth grade, I found out for the first time that Hulk Hogan and 
Rowdy Roddy Piper and all those guys were actually faking it. That it was all what? It was all part of a what show. Are you about? No way. Yeah, and it, and it was like, <laughs> hey, ask, ask them. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> right. Santa doesn't exist. Remember that and guy? So I, I wonder if this is <laughs> beat if, John Stossel. Sorry. Oh my God. Yeah, like uh, uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka uh, off the top rope. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm I'm wondering now if we're going to get to the point where all of a sudden Major League Baseball is going to have to say, yeah, everyone's been cheating their ass off for years, but it's it's just a part of what the game is, you know, like. Like Tom Hanks would say, there's no crying in baseball. On the other side, they would say, well, there's always sign stealing in baseball. I don't know how they handle this from a from a PR perspective because I think they're at a very critical moment here where an entire World Series is under... Um, a lot of people would say that they didn't deserve, the Houston Astros did not deserve to win that World Series because they cheated their ass off. And now are the Red Sox using a replay room? I don't know how you communicate your way out of this other than to say, well, you know, sign stealing has been a part of our history and we're just trying to eject, you know, technology from this particular part of the game. Right. I don't know. It, it it just makes me feel like I mean, you remember the, when the purity of the game is gone. You remember in uh I guess it was World Series game 7, is that the one that Strasburg uh, 6 6 game game 6 and he was going to his glove and, and they, then the pitching coach came out told him don't go to his glove. Is that cheating? I mean, were they, you know, so I don't I don't cuz yeah. that's kind of what we grew up with, right? I mean, it if you're the uh, if you're a runner on second base, you're looking to see does the guy put the ball behind his back? You know, is he is yeah. he moving? Is he going to his glove? And then you see what a pitch is, and then you adjust your uh, the next time you're up. I don't remember ever like kind of telling people, but I I don't know, John. I mean, I I think you're. I, I, I sounded the alarm earlier than most that I've seen. Well, I feel antiquated in this, and, and I think it's for a good reason. I want purity in sports. I want the purity of the, of, the, uh, of the interaction out on the fields of friendly strife, so to speak. But, man, I, I mean, if you have this kind of serial cheating, you know, is, is, is anything pure anymore? You know, and, and, and I really thought as – an unabashed sports fan that the fields of friendly strife that that was your last bastion of of pure competition where it wasn't flooded with corruption but this is flooded with corruption too right yeah yeah, yeah. no um so i think what we're t the point you're making here i completely identify with and i'm going to elaborate on it a little later in the show um it, it's just an overall philosophy i think of what's happening in our culture and I don't want to get too far because you know I can I can go down a long windy no. road. Come on, <laughs> but um, but no, I like look. I don't want to. They were they were. I don't know if it was Tony Kornheiser's show yesterday or today. I'm confused. But um, this whole because they, they were talking to Richard Justice about the the computers for balls and strikes, and that's just like no, no, like I, I'm. If you take the umpires away from the game, I feel like you're taking away the cornerstone, one of the cornerstones of of the actual game itself. Um, it becomes a video game, right? And then who and and who's designing the the software for balls and strikes? It just it, it strikes me as very so. Odd. You don't like? Do you mind lights at night? 
I mean, that's using technology to oh, change right the game. Now. No, I mean, so I mean, I guess Fuck. the well, I guess the bigger point that I would make is whether it's cheating, whether it's introducing technology. I, I think we are focused on it one because it's our time to worry about it, and because of the work that we do, and in terms of you know how does it affect how the game communicates to fans, and how does the game um, uphold its brand. But I think that this is just a problem that baseball or football or whatever sport has kind of always dealt with, right? I mean, when you talk about cheating, you think of the Black Sox, you think about steroids, right. you think right. about right. other, you think about the spitball or, or Vaseline on your uniform. I mean, people have always been seeking a advantage. Phil Negro. Right. Oh. No, but Throw and, out the nail file. And, and so, like, for me, I guess I just look at this and go, like, this is the latest example of that. I kind of shrug and say, hey, I mean, whatever, it'll it'll be fine. You seem to be a little bit more concerned about it. I think we're just going to have to see. Well, I'm, I'm concerned because I've always held professional sports up on a pedestal, um, you know, where I believe it's it's what every kid should aspire to. Like, hey, you want to be a professional athlete. You want to be the starting linebacker for the Washington Redskins, you know, or the starting third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. But you want to believe that there's purity in the competition. And, and now what I think is being injected into the conversation is that there might not be purity, that, that it might be beset on all sides with um, the leverage of technology to get an edge. And, 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 of course, people have been doing that since the days of Babe Ruth. Um, but now it's a, just a bit more out there in the conversation. And I'll be interested to see what Major League Baseball does and what the NFL does. To bring it full circle, you know, the, the, the communications conundrum for me is what will Major League Baseball do with the Red Sox, with the Astros, and what will the NFL do with the Patriots uh, with regard to the videotaping scandal and how will you communicate the purity of the game to a fan base who wants purity? Or am I the only one who wants purity and the rest of them are like, hey, fuck it. Do whatever you, you know, do whatever you need to do to win. I hope it's not the latter. I hope it's the former. But that that just, you know, that's me being pie in the sky. Uh, I think we're all, um, we enjoy the purity of the sports that we watch and we hope for the best. Well, you know the Yankees when, cheat all the time. It's just, it's, please, whatever. <laughs> Next, you're but, going to tell me that they they're cheating in elections too, right? Is that? What? Oh wait, <laughs> whoa! Watch Sorry, John. I don't, I don't want to keep you up on. We night. will. We will. <laughs> we will definitely stay tuned. Thanks, John. Uh, Chris, over to you. What's in your rearview mirror? So for me, it was the Golden Globes this week. Uh, I thought Ricky Gervais killed. I hate uh, award shows. I think John has gone on. I probably hate award shows. Maybe just slightly behind John in terms of not enjoying it, but I thought Ricky Gervais did a great job. I don't know how planned that was. I don't know how, like if the producers of the show felt like they needed to take themselves on and take the whole idea of award shows and Hollywood on. But, uh, uh, if you haven't seen his monologue, um, you know, go on YouTube or, or Google and find it and uh, check it out. Cause it, it really was funny. And uh, I thought it was what certainly what that, community needed and maybe what the country needed in terms of uh, taking itself a little too serious. Yeah, so th a couple of points about, about that monologue. 
<clears throat> at the Golden Globes. And I'm not someone who really pays attention to uh, whether it's the SAG Awards, whether it's the Golden Globes. I guess maybe I tune in somewhat in terms of the business that we're into the Oscars uh, to pay attention to see who, who, who won and who didn't, you know, um, briefly. But in that opening monologue, so one of the things, this is, this is what caught my attention. Um, it was towards the end of that, that 15 minutes or so that he spoke uh, where he says, so if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, so I mean, and there were blistering, you know, throughout that whole thing. But that stuck out to me because, and I don't remember when this happened. Like, when did people, um, and I'm asking this genuinely, when did actors and actresses get up and start going on, you know, riffs about the current... I mean, I guess it's been for a long time, right? It's well, not, no. We talked about this, you know, a few pods ago where I, I, I hearkened back to the days of yore where athletes and um, actors were apolitical, at least in our eyes. We didn't know if they were Republicans or Democrats. We didn't know if they were pro-Nixon or anti-Nixon. Mm -hmm. But the relevance of social media, or at least the availability of social media now, gives them all a voice. And you know, despite Ricky Gervais's best efforts, Patricia Arquette got up there and made an incredibly awkward speech against Trump and tried to tried to generate some sort of political like yeehaw and and it was like quiet as a church mouse like there were like tumbleweed blowing by and 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 it was uncomfortable for her um i i would rather athletes and actors stay apolitical or at least stay in their lane but that's fresh for me to say like stay in your lane you don't deserve a political voice well who the fuck am i like they could say the same thing to me right um, so I don't, I don't I have don't a know. problem with their having a political voice and I don't have them having, um, you know, any other sort of, uh, platform or taking advantage of the platform. Um, I, I'm just glad that you can push back on them and the world didn't freak out. Like I, I yeah. actually, yeah. that is a group of people that I don't really like. I'm kind of wrinkling my nose here. Uh, I, I, but I, I actually give them credit for not for kind of being able to laugh at themselves. I mean, that was my sense watching it a couple times on video is that there were some uncomfortable moments and there were people that made, you know, grimaces and, you know, rolled their eyes or shook their head. But for the most part, they were able to laugh at themselves. And, you know, I guess I'm refreshed that that we yeah. are not taking each other as serious as I feared. Now we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see how. Yeah, it goes. they can shake their heads and wrinkle their yeah. nose while they're making twenty right. mil per picture. But moving on, uh, I don't know if anyone was paying attention to NFL coaching hires last week. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of new faces, a lot of new names uh, being uh, being tossed around uh, across the NFL. Uh, but one thing we wanted to talk about a little bit was this thing called the Rooney Rule. All right, uh, let me give you a little background. Um, the rule is named after Dan Rooney, the former owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it was created back in 2002 uh, after the firings of head coaches Tony Dungy uh, and Dennis Green. Uh, essentially what the rule uh, requires, it's a, it's a National Football League policy that requires um, 
teams to interview ethnic minority candidates uh, for head coaching and senior football operation uh, positions. Um, you know, look, it's affirmative action, essentially, uh, for, for the NFL. Um, however, however, uh, you got to – it's one thing to say, okay, we're supposed to interview, uh, you know, uh, people of color. Uh, for these, for head coaching positions or fr- senior front office positions, or whatever. Uh, but as mentioned on some other podcasts that we listen to, right? You're the owner; you can hire whoever the f you want. Right. So, what? Just because you, uh, I'm gonna check this, check this box here, and and bring this black person or or this, uh, you know, Asian person or Indian person in here to 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 be a head coach. When all the while I'm trying to hire, I'm gonna be hiring somebody else. Um, so it 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 reeks of desperation and and just you know incompetence to me i think you see this in lots of organizations and this becomes a real challenge right i mean when you think about diversity versus inclusion or how do you balance diversity versus uh inclusion Mm -hmm. in terms of creating the best team we saw it a lot in the navy um i remember i i worked for um a black three star mm-hmm. um and there were three or four other black three stars at the time okay um and the drum beat from the cno at the time the chief of naval operations the navy's head officer mm-hmm. was you know diversity 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 and particularly african-american diversity um and then really within six months all four of those three stars retired None of them uh, fleeted up to make four star. Uh, and it was kind of like, hey, where, you know, what, what are you doing? Where, where is the, you know, how serious are you about this? And I think that that's, that's my reaction to the Rooney rule and to others is, is, hey, look, if it's important enough to put a rule in place or if it's important enough to make it part of your rhetorical drumbeat as right. it was for the chief of naval operations at the time, but it's not important enough for you to follow through with it because you're going to say, just like the uh, owners say and just like the leadership at the time in the Navy said, well, it's about finding the right person. Th- then why do you have the rule? Yeah. Well, so I view it, I view the Rooney rule like a speed camera on 295, that, that it's being enforced for you to, it's mandating your behavior. Like, hey, I've got to interview Marvin Lewis right you know I'm Jerry Jones I've got to obligate to the Rooney rule so I'm going to interview Marvin Lewis despite the fact that everyone knows I'm not going to hire him but really I'm going to hire Mike McCarthy Um, and Mike McCarthy you know no fault of his own is white it's fine but it it is a joke to think that people actually respect the Rooney rule because they um, they view it as just kind of a mandatory thing. Like, oh, I've got to, I've got to slow down to 25 miles an hour in the school zone. Well, then do that, and then I get to speed up and hire my favorite white candidate. That's a jaded viewpoint. But um, I, I do believe that we're going to have to get to the point where we understand that that the best coaching prospect out there could be a man or a woman of color um, and we're going to have to get over our basic prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know when that day comes. 
you know, it, it, you watch any of the games from this last weekend. Leslie Frazier, why is why is he not a head coach again? And I know it went bad for him when he was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, but he is one of the most brilliant defensive minds, you know, out there. There, there should be no reason that some fucking numbnuts like Joe Judge gets is that his name, Joe Judge, gets hired by the New York Giants to be a head coach. He was a special teams coach. Are you kidding me? Leslie Frazier is not going to be a head coach, and that ass clown is going to be? And I understand that he has, like, New York or New England Patriots stank on him, which mm-hmm. is a good stank, but give me a break. You know, like, it, you, either, you either take the Rooney rule personally and seriously, or you don't. I don't think the NFL does. Not at all. Not at all. It's um, it it's offensive to me. I thought it's the a, judge hire was a good hire. As a cowboy fan, I was happy <laughs> to see that they yeah. hired. Uh, it's uh, it's offensive. Well, Garrett's um, going to be his offensive coordinator, right? I, I mean, it's a it's perfect. So now you're happy. You know, I of I guess there were what were there six, seven uh, coaching availabilities. Six. See? Well, there's a presumed seventh you know, on the horizon. I mean, are you telling me that Marvin Lewis is just flying? He's getting frequent flyer miles. He's just going to every NFL front office to interview with. But, but this is this to me is a problem, and this is why I relate it to the Navy. Uh, honestly, is the reason that there aren't more black head coaches or there aren't more black front office uh, leaders? Um, it, the problem starts well before um, those folks get to. A coordinator position or get to a player personnel position it starts at the beginning of their time in the league and i would say the same for any major organization like the navy or a major corporation right the reason that they don't uh folks don't um matriculate up the ladder is because there aren't those opportunities in their formative years or there isn't that mentorship in their former, former, uh, formative years that, um, that helps them along the way. The Rooney Rule is a great idea, but it's too late. So the fact that it's too late and the fact that people kind of half-heartedly follow it is why you have the problems that you have. And it's why Agreed. it's disappointing to you and, yeah. and many, many, many other people. Yeah. Well, it, it, systems, it, systems. It, it makes a person wonder, like... Yeah, we've started a small business. Are we going to get mandated to employ some sort of Rooney rule? And and I use that as the spurring of a conversation of, all right, well, I'm Jerry Jones. I built this from the ground up. I, I own this organization. I poured my entire life into this at the expense of my family and my happiness and my health. Don't tell me who I have to hire. Mm-hmm. I don't care what their skin color is. I'll hire who I want to effing hire. Right. And and that's where you know we, we can build this into a more strategic conversation of how the greater society injects themselves into your life and says you have to interview a candidate of color. You have to. You know, does that actually result in the end that you wanted? Or does it actually spur on more racism because it makes people think, well, I've got to, I've got to at least interview one black guy or one person of color. You know, let's go ahead and do this, and it now becomes a buzzkill or it becomes a burden. 
you know, by trying to inject diversity, are you actually stifling diversity? That's the question. Yeah. Looks like uh, Ron Rivera was the only one to make it through this year. Good, good middle linebacker. I don't <laughs> see color. Uh, good talk. Good talk. Uh, listen, we took a look back in the rearview mirror, and when we return, we're going to deep dive. You're listening to Three Season A Pod. Stick around. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back, and it's time to deep dive. Gentlemen, if you uh, haven't been paying attention to your television sets or your handheld computers, uh, there have been some, um, some events uh, going on in the Middle East uh, of, of late, uh, in the past uh, 24 hours especially. Um, and also across the river over there at that five-sided funny farm, uh, there are quite a few things uh, going on. Uh, Chris, uh, for a more detailed uh, look uh, into uh, the communication space of what's happening over at the Pentagon, uh, why don't you take us through it? So there was a political article that uh, ran um, this week, uh, and the headline is, Trump's shoot-from-the-hip style could be harming the military's reputation. And it specifically looks at how the information has been shared um, in the context of uh, the killing of General Soleimani, uh, the Quds leader uh, in, in uh, Iran, um, as well as um, the lead up to this week's uh, missile attack by Iran. And so it uses that as a way to look at how President Trump communicates, how what effect that has on how Pentagon leadership communicates, and then what what are the repercussions. Mm-hmm. And so it got us talking off air. We thought this would be a decent deep dive segment because I, I think most people are aware how the president's personal style has changed the discourse in the country. Um, and then so what I think it's worth considering is, is what has been the effect on an institution like the Pentagon? Um, and is that, are the changes that have been driven at the Pentagon, are they more news cycle driven? Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, social media, the speed in which information is passed back and forth, or is it a direct result of President Trump's personal style? Um, has he changed the way the military communicates and therefore the trust that uh, men and the women, men and women in uniform have for each other and that the American people have for the military? Um, or is it a combination of, of both? And so I, I guess would want to lay out kind of three areas uh, and then uh, go from there. So the effect, whether it is the news cycle or President Trump or a combination of, has affected, I believe, trust, trust up and down the chain of command, trust with uh, the American people. It's affected the relationship that the military has with the Pentagon press corps. Traditionally, the Pentagon press corps has been very much considered professional, issue-focused, less I would say money or political driven. There's some of that. Uh, you, you can't get away from it. But they have been considered a more professional press corps as opposed to perhaps the press corps at the White House and the State Department um, or mainstream press that is definitely advertising and politically based. But you're starting to see a little bit of that change. And the third is, is how has it affected the military's ability to be aligned in how they communicate um, in time of crisis or in time of 
uh, need when it when there comes a need for a grand strategy. Um, so I throw it to you guys. Is this one? Do you agree with those buckets? And two, what's the reason that we find ourselves uh, in the position that we are today? Well, I'll, I'll go to the third bucket first, and that is that I believe that the military finds it very difficult in this day and age. And and we used to lament. Uh, vociferously about how the Obama administration would micromanage communications coming out of the Pentagon. And now you've almost gone 180 degrees away from that, where the Pentagon has no effing clue what the White House is going to communicate and how how they should respond to that. So in this particular case, for a lot of people, for this current generation, this is their yeah, this is going to sound ridiculous, but this is their Vietnam moment. You know, you, you peruse Twitter and you see people bringing up the question of selective service and, and am I going to be drafted to fight Iran? And, you know, it, it brings up a lot of questions about what this nation's response will be to this current crisis. Um, and, and really at the root of the problem is that the, the Pentagon, which really should – you know, control the communications about something like this is completely caught off guard almost all the time about what's coming out of the executive branch. And they are trying to play a role that is neutral and smart and um, adherent to basic uh, good order and discipline and not making people freak out. But the second they try to formulate a strategy or formulate talking points or formulate any kind of theme, the the White House will come out with, hey, I'm going to bomb 52 spiritual sites. Well, shit, you know, then now that sort of hamstrings us as a Pentagon um, or as a Department of Defense into how we're going to communicate because now we have to come up with plans for how we communicate the fact that we bombed or possibly would have bombed um, cultural sites up to the number 52, you know, um, emblematic of the number of um, hostages taken in days past. It's just a completely different paradigm that, that, that screws up the chain of command and how they do business. I, I don't know how they overcome this because it's, it's a pickup game every day. Right. Right. So I, we started off talking about uh, baseball, yeah. right? And kind of what we feel is, you know, pure. And then the 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 cheating allegations and some of the other things going on that, that's taking away from the, the purity of it. And so what pains me, look, we're all former uh, naval officers. So what pains me is knowing, like, I cherished, and I think you all did as well, the relationships that we established with not only the Pentagon Press Corps, but other media folks that we would have to deal with across the country. Um, or at least, you know, we we valued the establishment of those relationships, the credibility, the trust, the ability to provide context to whatever issues we were dealing with. And I'm fairly certain that, I mean, look, I'm, I, I, it hasn't been a year, but I don't think that that, that is happening. I, it, to the degree at which we were 
um, or, or people before us yeah. were accustomed to because yeah. now you don't have the, you're hampering, what's, what I think what's happening is you're hampering the ability for people to effectively execute their, their jobs. Uh, and who suffers is the American citizenry suffers because like I'm watching uh, some talking heads as, you know, armament is being sent uh, in, into Iraq. And it was almost as if like a reporter is getting like they're looking at information like as it's happening and not there, there aren't. There aren't intelligence briefings. There aren't any sort of here's what's happening. Here, you know, um, and and so what happens is when you when the lack of whether it's a White House you know press briefing, whether it's a Pentagon press briefing, the lack of that sharing of information. I'm not talking about sharing anything that's top secret or you know, Geraldo Rivera's like oh the, they're going to be coming in you know here, like not not that. But I'm talking about providing context. To the American uh, voter, to the American citizen, here's where your your tax dollars, uh, here's how they're being used, here's how uh, we're executing, you know, this mission, and here's why. And the absence of that, the trust in the do for for the DoD is just being completely eroded. It it puts an alarming amount of power in the hands of Richard Engel on NBC Nightly News or in. Laura Ingraham or whomever, you know, whatever press pundit you want to choose, they are going to spew what they believe the truth of the matter is. And like we've always taught at DINFO, so how we've always practiced as defense public uh, affairs officers, that if you don't communicate your message, someone else will. Mm -hmm. Well, in this particular case, there is no... There is a dearth of Department of Defense information. And so thus, a lot of people are getting their information from pundits. And those pundits are partisan. And so they are going to say that this is a total shit show or this is great. And people are going to listen to those opinions based on their own partisan views. Absent is the actual information coming out of the Pentagon or believable information coming out of the White House. If there has if there would have been a more transparent um, op tempo coming out of the White House and the Department of Defense, more briefings, more transparency, then then maybe the conversation would be different. But almost every day there is a comment about and, and it's a meritorious comment on Twitter or otherwise about how few press briefings there have been, how, okay. how, yeah. you know, the the White House and the Department of Defense, they have collectively cut off informational briefings to the press about what they're doing and why they're doing it. That's the perspective and context that's missing, and thus people have to to have to form their decisions or their beliefs about what we're doing in Iran or vis-a-vis -vis, like the Iranian conflict you know, based on what pundits say. I feel a lot like you did with baseball um, in that, you know, the formative uh, times of my career, um, one, uh, I guess, centerpiece or a clear North Star was 
you know, maximum disclosure, minimum delay, the principles of information in Department of Defense, the relationship that you had with the Pentagon press and that they had with you, the trust that was there. And that, yes, people sometimes got it wrong. The services got it wrong. The, the media got it wrong. Leadership got it wrong. But for the most part, like in the high, I would say 80s to 90 percent, um, the intention was, um, was uh, you know, very positive intent um, and well-meaning. And now I don't I don't know. I don't know where we are. Right. I, I mean, I, I think that the, the devil and the angel sitting on my shoulder is. So, A, are people intentionally not providing context, to use a John Kirby word? You know, is that lack of context because, A, people don't want to provide it because they don't care, they don't trust the media, enemy of the state, all that other nonsense? Or, in the case of Secretary Esper and the crowd that's there right now, who have tried to brief a little bit more, I mean, Esper and Milley, General Milley, they found themselves having to go back to the media on and off the record, on and off camera over the last couple of days yeah. to correct or bend based on what the president said. So was the, this memo signed? Was this memo right. not signed? Like so all this crap. Yeah. Is the devil the, you know, hey, we, we want to lie, essentially, or, or and is the angel the like, hey, we just can't keep up with that guy across the river. And, you know, because he bends the truth and it's off the cuff messaging and it's, you know, about vilifying uh, our, our enemies, like we, we just don't know how to operate. I'm just worried that the system is now broken, right? That there is no going back, that it's all about sign stealing yeah. to, to go back to the first segment and, and that the system that we grew up in will never recover. And to that point, which is what, when I said I was going to elaborate on it, it goes to the Ricky Gervais line. Nobody cares about your political statement. Nobody cares you know, about, about what it is that you have to say. And what I think is that that becomes this overarching thing, that this is, this is, this is the result of so much, of all the chaos and, and misinformation and, quite frankly, lying, that you get, yeah. you get enough of it and people just sort of say, eh, I, you know what, I'm, I don't even... I don't care what you put out in a in a briefing but anymore. What, what worries me is again, just like in baseball, um, you have one or two bad actors that start and then the quote unquote good guys and gals feel like they have to respond to that and either go along with it or create their own bad behavior. Um, and whether that's in the case of the media and now they're, they're no longer apolitical, they're no longer uh, unbiased, or whether it's otherwise thoughtful leaders and communicators who used to be all about context, now just recognizing that, hey, it's not worth it, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Either way, again, I worry the system is not going to be able to be fixed when this guy leaves. Well, right. I think that... Going back to what I said, I think that people are actually getting their information from pundits now. And, and the Department of Defense briefing is now given by uh, Janine Pira or Laura Ingraham or um, Richard Engel or Brian Williams at 11 p.m. Like it, it, is a, it is a sign of concern that, again, as we've been training our clients for years and years, if you don't fill the space with information, someone else will. 
And so you better fill the space with the right information and the relevant information and what people need to hear in order to not be freaked out. Because I, for one, not to be histrionic here, this whole thing with Iran has kind of freaked me out. And, and it, brings to, it, it brings it right back to home base for me why I got out of the military in the first place because I didn't want to be a part of a shit show. And, and right now it's a shit show. And they could mitigate the adverse effects of this shit show by communicating better, but they can't. And so who's going to communicate for them? The media. And the media is obviously on way on the left side or way on the right side. Who's going to be that voice in the middle? I don't think it exists. Can you put the genie back in the bottle, or is this now the way we communicate across all of government, across all of society? No, I think it's the way forward. I think we're we're in it right now. Right now, I I I am hopeful that there will be some sort of a back to the future. It just as we're like, because we're we're not the only ones that feel this way. And I and I I hope not. I, I do believe that there is um, that the integrity of the institution has not has not completely uh, fallen apart. That is that is my hope. I I carry that audacity. Uh, listen, uh, great talk, gentlemen. Listen, <laughs> that stay, is stay yeah, stay with us, folks. Uh, we're going to come right back as we look out on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. And welcome back to Three Season of Pod with Provision Advisors. Uh, gentlemen, typically when we look out on the horizon, we go around the, uh, the table and each of us gives a different outlook uh, for, for what we're paying attention to uh, in the weeks, a week or weeks ahead. Um, but look, uh, like in the last 24 hours or specifically, but really in the last week, in terms of what the United States has been dealing with um, in, conf- in their confrontation with Iran, uh, I think it deserves our attention. Uh, what are we seeing? Uh, we, the president made a statement today, uh, this morning, from the White House uh, with regard to the salvo that was sent um, towards uh, U.S. forces last night. Uh, what are you looking for uh, as we move forward here? What do you think is, is, is going to take place, Chris? Can the president stay on message? Um, he, I think he did a decent job today in, in terms of being strong where he had to be um, from the role of chief executive and you know commander in chief, will that remain the case, or will he take the bait, whether it's from Iran or from any of the other uh, actors, and get off script and become less helpful um, and more uh, inflammatory? Um, right now, it seems like we're in an okay spot. Um, you know, we've been here with Iran before, so um, I, I think a lot hinges on the president and how he, I mean, we just talked about how his style has been disruptive. Um, so I, I guess I'm not that hopeful, but, but that's what I'm watching. All right. John? Yeah, I would say, how do you then communicate the, um, the way forward? You know, what's the strategy? What do you, what do you want to do? And, and in this particular case... I think that there is a great opportunity for a voice other than the president's. And who's it going to be? There's already a lot of um, cynicism regarding Secretary Pompeo. Um, 
you know, a lot of people don't even know who the uh, White House briefing um, briefing room looks like now. Like, who's the new press secretary? I mean, after Sarah Huckabee Sanders left. So who is the voice that's going to calm the fears or the or the lack of information out there? And and I talked about it in the last segment. Are they just going to get it from partisan news services, or are they going to find a a person who briefs this in such a way that that allays fears? You're coming up to a very interesting time in our world in that the State of the Union address is coming up. The NFL playoffs are here. It's the winter, um, you know, the dark ages to steal a uh, a Naval Academy term. So, who's going to fill this void in the dark ages of information um, and and allay the fears that a lot of people have that we're going to get struck down into another malaise in the Middle East and another trillion dollar war where just lives are lost and there's zero benefit um who communicates i don't know who it is it can't be i'm I'm saying this right now and it's not just because i i dislike him and i think he's a d-bag but it can't be president trump it cannot be who else is going to be the voice of reason during a time that is particularly scary for americans who's going to do it yeah so for me, and I know we, we've talked about like our kids' reactions to what took place, our reactions to what took place. I don't know that I believe what I'm seeing. I, um, how do I elaborate on that? I saw the reaction from people in Iran, whether it's the you know, Iranians in the streets um, and then their parliament. Uh, I don't know that this is it. Like, oh, there's just this, you know, this salvo of missiles last night. And hey, we don't know no nobody wants to escalate anything. And let's let's I don't know. I, I don't believe that, to be honest. I and I think uh that that's more of a ploy almost. I I have a I have a a, a, a calibrated cynicism. Uh about the whole thing, um, because again, looking at just past history, and to go to from one extreme after the killing of the general, and then uh, to to this that 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 you, I think one of the one of the terms used yesterday that there would be a proportionate response, um, and and I don't I don't buy it. I just I just don't buy it. I don't so, know what proportion is. Anymore. Yeah, I mean, there, there's all sorts of speculation today on. You know, it was last night's uh, missile exercise um, really for the uh, internal Iranian or, you know, quasi-internal Middle East audience. Um, I mean, it, it, in some ways it was an exercise in communication in, in that um, the goal for the Iranian regime was to be able to demonstrate enough, enough uh, strength, enough resolve um, and, and enough hatred in some ways uh, for the uh, for the United States, for President Trump, for the actions of killing Soleimani, that they are able to stay in power and avoid um, regime change or, uh, you know, uh, avoid losing power. Um, I, I think 
the question will be, did they go far enough? Will there be uh, cyber attacks? Will there be proxy terrorist attacks? Um, and to what degree does the president play into that, right? I mean, John, you kind of explained the fulcrum that is the next couple months. And I'm pantomiming this. You guys don't have the benefit of video, but I mean, you know, right now we're sort of in quasi balance, right? The, um, but when the president gets bored, what happens, right? When, as the impeachment, tweets. as the impeachment starts to kick up, what happens as, um, the election cycle starts to kick up and you're talking about a 32nd versus 62nd campaign ad during the Super Bowl. What, what happens and does it disrupt that fulcrum on our side, which then in turn disrupts the fulcrum on the other side. And then we're right back to where, to where we were. So, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's time for, uh, it's time for real concern. Right. Right. And I, and look, I think we're all going to be glued, you know, whether it's to the television, to our phones, uh, paying attention to uh, what happens over the next uh, weeks uh, uh, and months um, as, as this continues to unfold. Uh, great talk today, gentlemen. I uh, really appreciate you. Uh, thank you to our uh, our studio engineer for um, for sticking with us here. Really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for joining us here on Three Season of Pod. Always a pleasure. We're back. Back in 2020. Happy New Year, Yeah, happy New Year, indeed. <laughs> thank you for those of you who stuck with us. Uh, as we continue to put out what we hope is great content. Uh, in the meantime, we want you to have a great weekend. Uh, and until next week, as we say here on the show, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.